Welcome to the WP Builds Podcast, bringing you the latest news from the WordPress community. Now, welcome your hosts, David Wormsley and Nathan Wrigley. Hello and welcome to the WP Builds Podcast once again. This is episode 66 entitled How to Badass Your Brand with Pia Silva. It was published on the 8th of March 2018. My name's Nathan Wrigley from pictureandword.co.uk, a small web development agency based in the north of England, and I'll be joined later for a discussion entitled How Involved Should We Be With DNS Records? Um, and I'll be joined by David Wormsley, I should have said, and also we'll be joined at the end uh, to have a very, very brief discussion about FOSS, free open source software. Please, if you wouldn't mind going to the wpbuilds.com website and downloading, listening to this episode. Also, there's buttons. I'm sure you know by now it's the same old trope that I'm using. Um, go and click the buttons and share it everywhere. And whilst you're there, click the iTunes one and give us a five-star review. We've got a healthy Facebook group of over a thousand members. And you can find that at wpbuilds.com forward slash Facebook, or you could just go to Facebook and search WPBuilds. If you go to wpbuilds.com forward slash subscribe, you can get on our mailing list and forward slash advertise um, to get um, an advert on the podcast. Okay, thanks for joining us again. We uh, will go in a moment to the discussion, but first of all, I should talk about um, Badass Your Brand with Pia Silva. Um, I was actually introduced to uh, Pia Silva by Brent Weaver, who was on the podcast from YouGurus a little while ago. And she's got a book which is coming out simply called Badass Your Brand. And, and in this episode, she talks us through uh, what's contained in her new book. But also the book um, lives on top of the work that she's been doing for years and years, trying to make an agency in which she is comfortable. Um, and she's done it. She's taken the opposite approach of getting bigger and bigger. She's gone smaller and smaller and gone for sort of slightly cheaper websites, not aiming for the big ones. And it's had a very profound and positive impact upon her life. Okay, so we'll go to the discussion now. And I sincerely hope that you enjoy this episode of the podcast. Hello. So in a bid to push up our listening viewing figures through the roof, they're going to go on this one. Oh, yes. Our topic is how involved should we be with domain name server records? <laughs> it so, couldn't get more exciting. <laughs> I, and the good thing is we just had a chat, haven't we, before this, and we've solved. We know exactly how involved people should be. Yeah, we've literally, we've completely worked it out um, yeah. by... Utter fluke. <laughs> well, I'd say we've worked it out. We've worked out what I think will work for me. I don't know if it's going to work for you, David, but it's going to work for me. Um, so, first of all, if you are um, if you're a website builder, you, I'm guessing you've come across all the sort of the fun that you can have with domain names. Uh, sorry, DNS records and what have you. And there's absolutely loads of them that you need to set up in order to make a website work properly. But what what are the what are the problems? You, before we started this call, David, you illustrated three ways that you thought you could mm. handle your client's domain name uh, records. Do you want to just go through what those three ways are? Yeah. So I thought, well, the first option is, is that you can buy the domain 
for the clients and totally have management over this. So you take care of the billing. It's great for the clients because they just have to pay you for all of your services and don't have to worry about all of that technical stuff. And, and you as the, the business and agency can make some money on top of that. Then number two would be that you could say to the client, well, they need to register their own domain and give you a access to their accounts you can make adjustments so either just point the a records to your host to your hosting or perhaps send the whole records to another place where you could manage them so a friend of ours does that through cloudflare where they've got dns management system so that's what he does and and then thirdly and the one that i've been going for at the moment or trying to move to which is where i say you know it's your responsibility here is the ip and you need to point your a record to here yes <laughs> But by complete fluke, we've discovered a fourth way, which we'll get mm. on to later. Um, yeah, so basically, it's it, broadly speaking, option number one is to do everything yourself. Option mm. number two is to set it up, um, get them to set up their DNS, uh, you know, to purchase the domain and give you their login details. And the third one is to kind of basically make them do everything uh, is that right? Have I got that the right way around? Yeah, okay. that's basically it. Yeah. What are the problems inherent with doing it all yourself? Well, goodness me, they are broad and deep. The um, <laughs> Here's a strange story. I had about a year ago, a client phoned me up and sadly, their um, solo web developer had actually met with a, a fatal accident and they were... Uh, they were completely locked out. Um, and my understanding is that... You can write and go, or you know, you can go through some process with ICANN or Nominet in the UK in order to request all of your uh, DNS to be, I guess, in some 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 sense, the word might be unlocked, so that you can regain control, regain control of them. As it happened, I never did go through that process because the client, um, we we just we didn't move forward with the project. They they went somewhere else. So I don't know how that process would be, but that could be an absolute catastrophe for all of your clients if you're managing everything and you you sort of keep it all secrets and you're you know not working with a team you're just by yourself now confession this is what i do <laughs> this is exactly what i do and i take it a step further because i actually manage literally manage all the dns for my clients just about um i point the the NS records, you know, that you have in the in the, the the registrar, the company that you bought the domain from, I point them at my server, and I use a piece of software called Plesk on my server, and it's a bit like cPanel but better. <clears throat> Cough, um, <laughs> and um, and I I manage all the DNS at that level, and then I've got a secondary DNS server which manages uh, the sort of second level, if you like. So I'm literally managing all the MX records, all the, uh, you know, the text records and the C names and all that kind of stuff on my server, which, yeah, not, it doesn't, it doesn't always lead to a peaceful night's sleep, shall we say. Yes. <laughs> but you have got a, a fail safe, haven't you? Well, yeah. And this came about, I think we seem to be talking about Brenda Malone a lot. I'm sure that this was, maybe it wasn't her thread, but she contributed to it. Um... I have a I have a backup plan, yeah, but it's not a very good plan. Um, and I think that the term for it is called dead man's locker. And essentially, Google, you may not know this, but if you've got a Google account, 
they they will um, there is a service that you can go to, and I'll, I'll I will try and remember to find it and put it in the show notes. There's a a URL that you can go to and set up uh, an email which will be sent out to recipients of your choice if you don't interact with your Google account for a period of time. And I think it's 90 days, which is quite a long time. Um, and so what I've done is I have in that email, which I'm hoping beyond hope Google keeps safe and don't distribute, um, it has the details to my LastPass account, how to log in and whatnot, and instructions on what to do. And it's being sent out to two of my good friends in the real world who are very technical and would understand exactly what's required. And But the problem with that system is it takes 90 days. So if I was to sadly pass away, yeah, little violin, um, today... Um, it would be another 89 or so days before my friends got that email. So it's not by any stretch of the imagination a good, a perfect system. I'm wondering if there's a SaaS product out there which would do this job on a sort of granular basis. Um, so that's, yeah, that's my sort of backup system, but it's not particularly good. Yeah, it would be hard to sell that one, I think, because none of us like to think about this stuff. No. I, I remember who it was. It was a uh, Bob. Hubber, ah, good. Who, who yes. started this one off because he had a, a a time when he was ill, and it's made him start to think about it. Yeah, right. Mm. Okay, yeah. I think it was Brenda that put in the the domain name for the Google service. Um, I I'm sure a quick Google for uh, Dead Man's Locker or something like that would would do. It. Or Google account. What if I die? <laughs> Cheery search <laughs> that is. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that's I am I am doing number one. But so let's talk not now. Well, maybe you could talk about because I've droned on for ages. Talk us through. Uh, talk us through number two. Yeah, well, I was talking to somebody who did number two, and I thought, well, that had some merits. Um, but um, only yesterday, and one of our friends, and they, so that was the one where you ask them to give them uh, the the details to their register, so you can then. Um, you know, either point the records to your hosting or as our friend was doing, they were pointing the whole DNS to Cloudflare. And But his issues were that not everybody would give him those details mm. um, because I know, of course, that, again, it's a privacy thing here. And there's the, the fear, isn't it? Also, could you get up to no good if you had this? And could you then be, you know, could the uh, responsibility fall on you for something that's happened? you know yeah and even in the future you know if if you've been given access to their account and two months from now something goes calamitously wrong you know you've you've been in there it was you yeah. sunshine yeah and and you know i know people have shared their passwords with me and i'm absolutely certain that they're probably the same passwords they use on other financial accounts yes, and things. yes yeah. you know if something happens they'll be you know maybe they're saying who did you give your passwords to recently and i would be that person right so it made me wonder about that but also he thought that perhaps the the person didn't want to share their account because they might have some domain names that they didn't want him to see so okay. maybe they Busty blonde casino hacks or something. (laughs) (laughs) Bitcoinhacking.com. Yes, something like that. So, yeah, so so even if you tried to do that as standard, there are going to be some, there's going to be some problems and, you know, uh, it's it's, open yourself up. So, yeah, so I've avoided that one, even though I can see some, some, well, again, it comes back to the emails. That's great. If somebody comes to you for support for their email stuff and they need to do the really complex stuff, like put in 
as we were saying before this call uh, the SPF records and um, what the other one called the domain name keys DKIM that's the one yes so they can do that for them and save a lot of hassle there but they do take on responsibility yeah My you, one. you've also got a bit of email tennis haven't you where you know you've got to try and um, describe in careful detail exactly which password you want and all that and uh, you know it's just fraught fraught with you know they send you the wrong thing or an incomplete password or they just simply don't understand what is a domain name registrar what i don't get it i didn't buy it somebody else bought it years ago and you just get all these problems amassing and you know it's it's a nothing it's really a trivial but if you get it often enough it it just sucks time yeah absolutely and i think you know it was interesting because I this chat that I had about that with the person who did it this way, they, their main reason was it just took the hassle out of it. If they mm. took care of it, it actually saved them time. But I wondered because the, my choice, but I've not been very good on it, has been to try and go for number three, which is where I say, look, here's the IP address. Just point your A records here. Here's a little video <laughs> that helps you. Yep. And he he... Uh, I, what I've come to realize, and I, I've borrowed this really from what Hibu do, which uh, I think are kind of yellow pages. Are they called the same in the US? Uh, they're a company that uh, that get people on board and make their websites for them quite expensive, actually. Right, but right. Um, And uh, that's all they do, really. When the contract's signed, that's it. They say, there you are, and you're on your right. You know, I don't think they give support for this. They just say it's your responsibility. And interestingly enough, you know, somebody who just wouldn't, do this but this is my brother he's always getting flack on this but you know he got his act together just because that was his only option so he got on to go daddy and mm. they helped him and he did it so it just made me wonder whether we just make a rod for our own back sometimes yeah i guess the the problem with making uh, like a video or something like that is you know in your case i think you describe in your video how to do it via go daddy um, uh, on working on the assumption that it was purchased through GoDaddy or they're about yes. to purchase it for the first time. But, of course, there's literally a, a thousand and one um, domain name registrars. So, And the panel for every single one of them probably looks entirely yes. different. So, you know, you, you make a video and sort of say, look, find your DNS section and fill in these <laughs> details. And, of course, it might just be impenetrable to them, which is kind of why I've taken the approach of number one until now and done it all myself um, just because I, I can't, I can't cope with that, that interaction. I just want to get on with it. Um, so in the past, I've just said, look, set the IPS tag. I think it's mm. called that throughout the world, the IPS tag. Um, and I'll take over the domain. This is how we're doing it. All right. Um, and, and, and I'll do everything from there because, of course, as soon as you've got the domain, you've got the DNS. Um, and then I bill them on a, an annual basis for the, the registration of the domain and take care of all the DNS. But I'm still alive. Um, <laughs> yes. I'm still working with websites. You know, I'm going to have a nightmare or maybe not. I'm going to have a nightmare um, on picking this mess. And so will somebody else if I was to pass away. Yeah. And there is one other thing that I throw in, which is to sort of gain a little bit of trust. Somebody asked me whether I would do their domain records because the people before them did, um, like you would do. And I sort of said, no, we keep it separate because, you know, it allows you that freedom to leave us. So they don't even need to tell us if they want to move mm. off our service. Mm. Um, so I've kind of been using it in my advantage to 
to get rid of the responsibility by yeah. by sending it something as you know. That's um, interesting because you actually push them away from it. Whereas I, I've mm-hmm. of, I've often had this exact same conversation with clients, and I have explained that I am a solo person largely, um, and I've explained the risks, um, mm-hmm. and I've explained my dead man's locker process, and invariably the people that I have worked with have all said, look, can you just do it? We don't want <laughs> anything to do with this nonsense because it's complete alien garbage to us. Whereas <laughs> you understand it, um, they don't want anything to do with it. So I've been very lucky, I suppose, in that sense. You know, they're not they're not fussy about me owning it and all that that means. Um, mm. But I make it very clear in all the contracts that I don't own it. I'm, I'm, I'm borrowing your domain. And of course, upon request, I will return it to you. Um, yes. Which I have on it, numerous occasions. Of course you will. And also, you know, I mean, what I'm saying doesn't really stack up because when it comes to other things, I get information on all the kind of stuff that comes in. You know, uh, I use Gravity Forms, so I see all the emails that are coming into yep. their site. So yep. Yep. already they need to trust me. So yep. Yep. no reason why not on that. Yep. But, uh, yeah, um, so I think one problem that I've had, though, with this, what I've tried to do is not be kind of like Hibu, where there's kind of, as far as I understand, I might be being unkind to them. There's no support. I've tried to say, well, you know, as long as you get your stuff together and give me the right password, please, um, I will go and do it for you if you like. And um, then that's often where I've discovered that it, the, the whole DNS isn't where I expected it to be. It's not yeah. with the registrar. It's somewhere well, else. It's the, they the they often think that the registrar is something completely different, don't they? And, you know, mm. they've just got a, a poor memory of where they bought it from. And they've deleted all the emails that they ever had in connection mm. with, you know, the purchase. Yeah, it's a fraught with a fraught with nightmares. I was just saying to Dave before this call began that if I was to go down the route of... Um, explaining to them that they were going to have to handle it all. Um, I would probably, I use Gmail and I use a plugin, uh, a Chrome extension called Gordias, I think it is, G-O-R-D, G-O-R something, I can't remember, Gordias or something like that. And it allows you to create complicated canned responses with HTML in and you can embed images and things like that. Um, That's probably the process I would have. I would have a canned response for this is what you need to do. And then I have another canned response for, look, you supplied us with all the wrong stuff. Can I repeat that your website is not going to work and never will work until you've straightened this out and then send that one out as a, you know, click a button, canned response goes in the email and off it goes. Mm-hmm. How should we share? Yeah, this is nice. Now, the reason, um, the reason this came up, this whole thread was because about a week ago, I was thinking about this process of DNS and thinking, right, I need to try something different because ultimately I don't want to be in the server game. I don't really want to manage servers and all of that sort of stuff um, and the headaches that that has. And so I was thinking, okay, first take it in little steps. Let's let's think about the DNS stuff first. And I'd, I'd heard I've used Hover before to purchase domains. And so I explored that first, but they were saying that the process of pulling a .co.uk domain in was fraught with difficulties. I thought, hang on, that's that's a bit weird. Okay, so I'll, I'll now look at something else. So I ended up with Google. So in beta, now I should say beta for Google has a different meaning to beta for everybody else because Gmail was in beta for about a bazillion years and it always worked. <laughs> this is in beta. It's called Google Domains and it's at domains.google.com and I am utterly sold on it. So... 
If you've got a Google account, you can go to domains.google.com. You can add in some payment details, you know, your credit card of choice and what have you. And you can manage domains in there. And it's got absolutely everything you'd expect. You know, you can transfer domain names in. The IPS tag is Google, all in capital letters. Um, you can manage all of the uh, DNS records, including, I have to say, a whole bunch of which I didn't even know existed. Um, so, for example, I didn't know that there was a domain name record called SSHFP. Now, presumably that's got something to do with the secure shell, but I don't know. Um, TLSA, again, transport layer security, but what's the A bit? The I don't know. I don't know. Some of them I don't mm. even know. But um, it's brilliant. Now, you know, you can set it up to auto-renew. You can um, configure your email address per account and so on and so forth. But the bit that we just found, which was a bit mm. cool, is if you go into the domain and you click the cogwheel, so the settings, if you like, for that domain, there is a setting in there called domain permissions. And if you click the little button called permissions, you can type in an email address. Now, I'm presuming this has to be an email address registered with a Google account and you add them in and they then gain full permission in their Google account to update the DNS records for this chosen domain. Now, it also appears that they can also take over responsibility for paying for it. So this seems like a nice solution to all the problems, I think. Do you? Mm. What do you think? Do you think I'm over-egging it? No, it does seem really interesting. Whichever way you're coming at it, even if you're buying it and then possibly passing it on to them or the other way that you're suggesting that they buy it from mm. them because then they can give you permissions to... Well, hopefully we maybe have the same issue about how they do that. But so you can go and help them with their DNSs. So I, I like it. Well, the, the permissions that you give are as follows. You can manage the registration. So by by adding them in in this way, it, you can then the person who has been added in can renew, add years of the registration, cancel, start, auto renew, delete the domain, add or delete users. So, you know, they become in effect administrators. They can manage settings for any website, email alias, or G Suite account. So that's probably some completely different discussion to be had. And they can add, edit, delete any record um, in the in the settings. And it would also appear, as we said, that they can take over um, the ownership of it by payment for it. Now, I don't know if they can boot you out. It sounds like they could, but that's fine as well. You know, yeah. if you set it up and they boot you out, well, okay, that's great. You know, you boot me out, you don't need me anymore. Um, so I, I'm I'm quite keen. What I think I'm going to do is in the future, I'm going to try this workflow. I'm going to set up the domain, um, make sure they've got a Google account. And if they haven't, that will be another thing they'll have to do. Turn off auto renewal so that every year it needs to be charged. Write them an email saying, look, on this date, and it says it in big, bold letters, this domain is going to, you know, um, stop being registered um, and say, look, you need to get your acting gear and make sure that you're paying for it from this moment on. Mm. So yeah. I think, I think, yeah, I, have we missed something? Is this, are we being silly? Have we done something wrong here? 
probably someone will let yeah, us know. But yeah. you know, it it seems to me this is how it should be. I mean, that is the way we can do it. I don't know how other people. This is another conversation, but like um, Google Console or Webmaster yeah. Tools, yeah. if you the old name, or or Analytics. You do this, don't you? You yeah. invite people. You can yeah. set it up, and it it, it seems the the logical way. You know, well, so. the, the, maybe this is a workflow that everybody's already got with some other um, domain uh, DNS provider. Mm. You know, mm. maybe Hover do this, maybe uh, GoDaddy do it, and and I've but the, the ones that I've used prior to this, they they didn't. You know, it was just me, um, and my username and password was the was the lock to to, to keep people out. I've never seen this permission setting. So if if it's nothing new, apologies for wasting the last eight minutes of your life. <laughs> Um, but it's new to me, so I'm quite excited about it. <laughs> well, I can confirm I had to transfer one from GoDaddy, which is the largest provider, and uh, that was quite difficult. There was a system to do that. Well, once they created an account, I could send it to them, but they insisted that they must have a telephone call with me. Oh, to, okay. Um, yeah, so we couldn't do it without that telephone call. And, I can, uh, do you know, I can see the security model for that, and I can see why they would do that, because... Obviously, if somebody hacks my Google account now, um, they've also, in effect, hacked all of my website's DNS if I bring them all into Google. And they can then, you know, send them to themselves and log out of my Google account and I won't be any the wiser. Yeah. Unless, yeah. well, maybe I'll get an email. Who knows? I haven't filled that button in yet. Oh, sorry, I haven't clicked that button. Maybe I'll get an email saying, are you sure you want to do this? Click this button to authorize. You, you would hope something like that would happen. And it's Google. They're good at this stuff. <laughs> you know. Indeed. Yeah. Well, right. I think, yes, we've done it, haven't we? Yes, we have. We've literally done it. Um, okay, let's call that one a day. I'm going to go and um, towel myself down. I'm sweating with excitement um, <laughs> at the possibility of playing more with some Google products. <laughs> Ah, right. I'll, uh, I'll, we should get on with the interview. Thanks, David. Hello and welcome to this week's guest interview. This week we have Pia from, well, two places really. I think the primary place we want to mention is from the website badassyourbrand.com. But she's also uh, a key part of the agency, I'm going to call it, Worst of All Design. She's a New Yorker and she's joining us on the line. Hi, Pia. Hi, how you doing? Thanks for having me. You are very welcome. Now, I should just say, uh, before we start all of this, that Pia is is based in New York, somewhere very dear to my heart. I would love to be there. It's equally cold there as it is here, I expect. Uh, yes, dropping every day. So she's on today to talk about something which she launched a little while ago called Badass Your Brand, which is actually sort of old school book that you can buy on Amazon. But um, maybe you just want to explain to us a little bit about what Badass Your Brand is, who's it for, what's it all about, and so on and so forth. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the subline is the Impatient Entrepreneur's Guide to Turning Expertise into Profit. And that's really what I wanted the book to be. I wanted it to be a guide on how to take what so many people are struggling with, uh, offering their services to clients and having a hard time charging higher prices, having a hard time finding clients, um, you know, spinning their wheels, networking like crazy and not really getting any traction. So this is a combination of telling our story of how we went from this bloated kind of uh, unprofitable 
agency model company to what we are now, which is very profitable, very specific, highly targeted, very branded. Um, and we're making so much more money and working so much less and working with the right clients that we're really happy about. And everything about it is just, it's night and day. So I kind of go through our story of how we did that. And then I along the way, show you how you can do it and give you questions you can answer so that you can apply them to your business. And then I show case studies on how others applied it to their business. Cause I just find that story really illuminate um, lessons. So it's full of stories with the lessons in between. The, um, the, the, the sort of notion, the mantra that we hear all the time from uh, experts in inverted commas is that, you know, growth, you need to grow, grow, grow. It needs to be bigger, more employees, more bigger office, more computers and so on and so forth. That doesn't feel to me like the, <laughs> the, the sort of uh, the, the approach that you're offering here. It, it, would that be true? I love that you just brought that up, actually. Um, I think part of the reason that we were so unhappy and so unprofitable is because we, too, felt like our business would not be successful if we were not growing in that traditional way. Mm. Um, and and at the time that we were in debt and miserable, we had two employees and a lot of overhead. And um, it was actually by cutting the employees out and really focusing on what me and my partner, who also happens to be my husband, mm. um, what we really want out of a business and in life and kind of forgetting what everybody else was saying it should look like that we really got to the heart of what was going to make us happy and successful and we realized that we didn't start a business to have employees who are practically our children <laughs> uh you know that we had to watch every day and give work to um you know that's partially my fault because i didn't know how to manage people but that said uh we really wanted freedom and we wanted to just do great work and work with great people and also have time and flexibility and money to do what else whatever we wanted like travel so um we decided to build a business that really accommodated those goals and and we succeeded once we realized that yeah it, it feels like a sort of an explore an exploration if you like of learning about um what it is that you actually are good at and what it is that you desire because the model for me i, I don't know when i figured it out but i figured out at some point that i was never going to be a large agency largely because i'm not that good um, but also because it just doesn't fit my personality type, if you know what I mean. And and I haven't, I still am on that journey. I haven't worked out um, what my kind of like unique thing is. But it, it feels to me like that's what you're trying to uh, encourage and, and achieve in this book, getting people to understand their own strengths and the things that they should concentrate on. So how do you, what is the approach? What are the steps that you would take somebody through in this uh, in this book to to, to enable them to understand themselves better and grow their business because of that understanding? Yeah. Uh, well, I think it's a combination of first really being honest with yourself about what success looks like to you. Mm. Um, and not in the abstract. I think people, if you don't think about that question too hard, uh, too deeply, you just think it means, I don't know, money, yes, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. right? But, but money isn't really success. It's what you get with money. Usually that's success. And what I realized was it wasn't the money and, and or things, it was time and freedom. Right. So then I thought, wait a second, can I get time and freedom a different way? Maybe I can. Um, and so that 
you know, opened my eyes to a lot of different possibilities. Um, so what success means to you? And then I look at with all of my clients and in, in any industry, I'm usually asking them about previous clients, previous projects that they loved, um, something that they not only really enjoyed, but it tends to be that the projects you love also happen to be projects that you excelled in, where you delivered high value, where the client was very happy with your work. Um, I ask about those clients and projects because uh, that usually is a good indication of where you should start focusing your time. And then the other thing I ask is about profitability. So let's look at the kinds of projects you do and see which ones are more and less profitable. And by profitable, I often am um, educating the less financially savvy clients of mine that mm. profitability is not a gross uh, price. It's not the gross number. It's uh, what is left over at the end. So mm, a mistake that I made that I see a lot of people making is I was going after bigger and bigger clients, but I was actually becoming less and less profitable because those bigger clients Price. were such more of my time. So I doubled down and went backward the other way. I went from pitching 30 to $50,000 pro projects to pitching $3,000 one day projects. And I was instantly more profitable and happier because I liked those projects more. So it all kind of aligns around what you love and what's most profitable, um, which is chapter, which is chapter one of my book kind of mm. explains how to do that. And then um, there's a whole bunch of other things, but I would say one of the last the last chapter and and a big thing that I tout is, you know, building, getting the the chutzpah to say no to clients who are outside of that, so you can really own your reputation and niche. You um you make that quite clear on the the website, which we'll share, of course, with everybody once the podcast is over. Um, that this process is not about um making your message watered down so that it appeals to everybody you're quite gung-ho about making sure that it's targeted very very um, accurately but also don't care too much about upsetting people no that's the wrong word about alienating certain people who were never going to be your customers anyway um, in my situation I found that to be tremendously hard to do I live in a smallish community and I rely to some extent on local clients um, have you got anything to say about that? Is it always a good idea uh, to, to to message so uniquely, um, <laughs> or, or is it is it okay sometimes to be more like me? Sure. Well, first I want to clarify. You know, I define a badass brand as having two uh, unique characteristics. One, it has to magnetically attract your ideal clients, and it's okay with repelling everybody else. Ah, there we and, go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah, so it's it's not so much about pissing people off. It's just about it's it's okay if some people don't get it. Yes. Some people are always going to not get it. Um, and the second characteristic is it needs to be able to charge a premium price and still win the business. So you can charge more than the competition and clients will still close with you. And if you have those two things, you have a badass brand. Um, now, let me clarify that those are the only two definitions. And I am often working with clients. I mean, you'd be surprised how many um, corporate kind of clients we attract, lawyers, financial planners. Mm. Um, even if they do want to stand, stand out in their industry, they don't necessarily and shouldn't be as standout as we are. Um, you know, we push it to the extreme for a reason. We're, we're walking the walk. We want to show you that it's okay to go this far. But often I am looking at a client in the context of their 
landscape, their goals and uh, and their competitors. So what is badass for them might feel very bland in my industry mm. and vice versa. So it's really, it's all relative. It has to be authentic to who the person is. I would never, ever suggest that you do something just for the sake of being different. That will be fake and authentic. It will smell horrible <laughs> to yes. everybody that yes. sees it. Um, so it, it is, and that's kind of going back to the, what do you love? What's most profitable? It's really just about finding that sweet spot that's really yours. And then, and then owning it, like throwing it up on a billboard, you know, doing it with every inch of your energy, every, every drop of your energy. Um, that's what being badass is all about. It's about that commitment to your thing. So it's not necessarily about always being edgy and trying to push the boundaries and, and make yourself remarkable because you're not like everybody else. It's more about um, the energy that you put in and the amount of drive that you've got and those kind of things. Yes, definitely, definitely not. And for us, uh, worst of all design, badass brands, I mean, we're definitely out there, but we're we're out there because that's very authentic to what we're doing. So you'll you won't see on our website anywhere the the phrase you know stand out and be different, um, and that's essentially what we're helping people do, uh, and that's what a lot of agencies would do. But I would um, I would be embarrassed to say something like that because that would not be different or stand out. No. So I need to do <laughs> that in a different way, and it needs to be authentic. Um, is is money, you know, you mentioned profitability, which mm -hmm. to me is connected with money. Is that usually the primary driver that you have uh, conversations around when you're dealing with clients? Or is, um, or, or are there other criteria which sort of eclipse that in terms of their, um, well, being successful? Have you got any interesting stories to share about people who's, who's, who placed importance not on the money, but on success coming through in some other way, some some satisfying thing that they found, which wasn't remuneration. Oh, absolutely. Um, I would say all of my clients are more obsessed with the work that they do, mm. doing good work, working with clients that feed them energy and excite them um, than they are about money. And I would say the other thing they're excited about is freedom of time and choice. So the freedom to work with the clients that they want and uh, t time to themselves to also live their life and not just have to work on their business uh, seven days a week. Um, money is just a means to both of those things. And, you know, I think I tend to attract people like that because of my branding. People come to us and they're usually pretty badass at what they do. They just don't know how to get out of that hamster wheel of feast or famine with clients. So um, I I love numbers. I was an econ major. <laughs> I love oh, I love thinking about profitability and money, but also for a means to an end. And I think it's a lot of people are shy about the money because they think that wanting money somehow negates their love of their work or or the value that they provide. And, and I try to shake them clear of that and understand, no, money is part of your, uh, your messaging and your strategy. It helps position you, actually. Your price point will tell people at the very beginning, before anything else, uh, how they should think about your business in relation to others. And a high price point will tell them that you're an expert. And I have mm. to back it up, of course. But, yeah. um, you know. Yeah, it, it's interesting. For me, I think money has always come of, of secondary importance. For me, being in your vernacular badass would be um, having loads of time with my family. 
That would be my wow. ultimate achievement if I could be profitable but spend, you know, three three out of the five working days actually not doing any work and sitting around with my children and doing that kind of stuff. That would that would be my my you measure of success. You can do that. Yeah. You can. <laughs> oh, I need to read your book <laughs> more carefully. Yeah. Um does your does your um message, your book, your system um does it work best with an individual or uh, you know an agency of two or three or uh, is there a point at which you think I'm more successful working with with you individuals or you pairs or how, how does that work well uh, I only work with one to three person service okay. businesses so that's my niche um, I I do that because my process is best suited for no more than three opinions in the room. Now, I'll say that um, we do have clients who maybe it's only one person, but they've got a small team below them. But I'm only working with one to three people at the helm. Um, it it will work for, for slightly larger businesses. The theories can be applied, but the more people in the business... Um, well, it's just a different strategy. The reason that this works so well for the micro businesses, I would call us solopreneurs, very small businesses, is because we don't need a lot of high paying, profitable clients to do very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and the bigger your agency gets, the you just have more overhead. So you're going to need to be bigger and bigger. And that's when things start to water down. It's a completely different strategy than large, you know, corporate companies, they have to appeal to everyone. You know, they still have a brand, but it's much more watered down because they're trying to slice off a pie of the market. It's, um, uh, you know, slice off a piece of the pie of the market. And that's just a completely different strategy. So this is very targeted to the kind of one to three person service business uh, world. Does your book provide a sort of step-by-step guide as to what you would be doing with somebody should you be in the room with them? Or is it more well, yeah, maybe just tell us about what we would find if we opened at chapter one and, and went through each of the chapters. Yeah, so the book is, um, it helps you figure out where your sweet spot is and what your brand should be and how to think about it and how to price it and all of that. Um, it is not as much of a behind the scenes on how we work, although I talk a lot about our process mm. um, because it's not written specifically for branders and and designers and uh website people, although those are our people. My next book will probably be more behind the scenes because that world really wants to know (laughs) uh, more about that. And and to me, I'll I'll give you a little taste of it. Uh, It's a combination of process, having a very clear, tight, defined process that you can repeat over and over again, um, and the psychology of working with clients. And I cannot stress enough how much thinking about the psychology of your relationship with your client from the very first time you interact with them through the entire project is uh, critical for a successful project. And, you know, we have clients come in at 10 a.m., uh, and leave with a fully functioning website brand, everything completely approved and done at 6 p.m. Nice. And that is not a small feat. That is something that happens because we have such a choreographed process with very tight uh, client management expectations in, in there. Do you, um, is this a service? So let's say we've read the book and we, uh, you know, we've really resonated with everything that you've said and, and we wish to reach out to you uh, in order to, 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 do, to do the real world one to one, if you like. Is, is it a service that you, would you expect me to be in the room with you or could I do this if I was across the Atlantic in the UK and you're in New York? 
Yeah, we do this um, with people all over the world, actually. And I would say 70% of our clients are remote. So, um, yeah, the whole thing is remote. It's great. So <laughs> I could, we could arrange something and I could call you up and we would. Um, the idea would be that we'd work out wh- where our strengths and weaknesses were. And by the end of a period of time, let's say a day, we've, we've walked away with a, a business plan, a plan of action to increase uh, whatever badass means. Well, so uh, our our process is two steps, and step one is something called a brand shrink, and that's actually an hour I and a half interview <laughs> with me and my partner. And uh, yeah, we we shrink you. It's like a therapy session, um, <laughs> and we do that. Everybody who wants to potentially work with us does that first. So that's just an hour and a half, two hour interview, um, and we deliver a brief with the plan that basically tells you what you should focus on, where you should put your energy, um, and what your your badass brand plan should be. And that's fifteen hundred dollars. And then after that, at the end of the brand shrink. I lay out, okay, well, these are all the things that you need to execute this strategy. You need a logo, a website, the copy, the messaging, the strategy of this, the marketing materials, the identity, whatever it is. And we can do that in a one, two or three day brand up. So the step two is very much implementation all the copywriting and all of that. Um, but a lot of people just hire us for the brand drink. They just want the strategy. And that's fine with me either way. The, and this is actually a strategy that I teach in my book too, which is the brand shrink is essentially a paid proposal with a lot of deliverables in it. And do you do you do this, like you've got the, the, the step one, the, the brand shrink and step two, mm-hmm. the brand up. Do you, um, would you be in with, with with me in the room or on Skype or whatever it was throughout that whole process? Or would it be me, be me just sort of telling you everything that I can splurge in an hour and a half and then you come back to me with all of your final thoughts and wisdom uh, a, a few days later? The brand shrink is the hour and a half interview yep. and then I come back later with the write-up. Um, the brand up is when we schedule it, we actually do a ton of work beforehand. Because now that we have the brand shrink, we know exactly what it needs to be. So we prepare all this work ahead of time and then the client is available from 10 to six for the one, two or three days. And this is when we take them through this process. So we show them work, we get their feedback, we make revisions in real time and we move forward such that we are completing the entire brand. Mm. And I'm guessing, you know, eating your own dog food and all of that, that you're um, that you're happier now than you've ever been with this business and this model that you've created in over the last period of time. Oh, yeah. I mean, this this model has allowed me to do all kinds of things I would never have been able to do before. Um, Just like you said, two days a week. I mean, we we only need to do one one day brand up a month. Oh. financially oh. so you know we went to europe for two months this summer oh. we just sometimes we do like three or four and like we did four in may that was a little intense but we did four in may and then we went away for two months we came back and we didn't do another one for another month and a half because that was fine um and so that kind of flexibility is what i was looking for um yes. that's what allowed me to write my book last year you know i just took off months and months because i just did a few brand ups in a concentrated amount of time and then I knew I could just uh, work on something else. Writing a book's quite a thing though, isn't it? Is that something you've been sort of urged to do since you were young or did you just suddenly get the itch a little while ago and think, right, I'm going to do this? And Are, are, you, are you disciplined or are you pretty, you know, yeah, like I would you know, be, hopeless? <laughs> I didn't have, uh, oh, it's going to sound silly, it wasn't that hard to write the book. Yeah. Um, 
it, it's not that long. It's about 35,000 words. Um, but I had, I feel like I'd already written the book in mm-hmm. my head. Mm-hmm. Um, I write a lot. So I, I write on, a, I have a column on Forbes. Before that, I was writing my blog for a few years. So, um, and then I also built a DIY course and writing the script for that and teaching things. I mean, I feel like I had written this book already. So when it came time to write it, the writing part was not that difficult. Editing it was more involved than I thought. That took much longer. Editing it and really putting it into a format that was readable, that took longer. And then the most effort was the marketing. Ah, (laughs) And that's what it should be because if you, I self-published, if you self-publish a book, you need to put all your, I mean, even if you have a publisher, marketing is everything. Nobody will read your book if they don't hear about it. So um, I would say that that was the biggest surprise. Mm. And I think you've got a um, you've got a way to sort of get a, a portion of the book into our listeners' hands. Would that be right? Did I, is that I do, I do. So I actually put up. So I have two little gifts for you guys. Um, well, very one of them kind. is not very little. So uh, the brand shrink interview that I give all of my clients that uh, helps you figure out what your badass brand is and think about your business in more profitable and awesome ways. Uh, I. I'm going to give you guys that. So that's at badassyourbrand.com backslash WP builds. I think you said that at the beginning. Yeah. Um, and if you go there and download the brand shrink, you can also get the first chapter of my book. And that first chapter really explains how we went from $40,000 in debt to $500,000 in sales in 12 months by repositioning our business. Oh, do you know, that sounds, uh, th- th- those numbers sound glorious. <laughs> 12 months from this to this that's what everybody needs there's always so many there's always so many stories um like this isn't there there's stories but some of them sound so so much more credible than others um, <laughs> and and I think I think I'm uh, you know I think I'm convinced that yours is is a credible way of doing it because you're a, a real person not some sort of internet facebook advert which appears from uh, from legends that I don't know are real so it's been a pleasure, an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Is there anything you want to just sort of finally mention where you can be found? If anybody's found this inspirational, how can they get in touch with you to find out more? Um, sure. Uh, well, you can follow me on Twitter, Pia Loves Your Biz, B-I-Z, because I really do. I really love your biz. <laughs> um, <laughs> and if you follow me there, um, you can you'll see tweets and stuff about my Forbes articles. And if you want information about this, I mean, I put a lot of energy into, I mean, I have all this time. So I put all this energy into writing these articles on Forbes to really try to help um, small service businesses become more profitable and more badass. Um, So that would be the best way. Thank you. I mean, I would say that an awful lot of our listeners, um, we, we, we struggle with the, you know, the finding the new clients and keeping the wheels turning and uh, being profitable and fighting the, you know, the lowest common denominator pricing and all of that kind of stuff. So any new approach is always welcome. Um, And it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming on to WP Builds today, Pia. The pleasure was all mine. Thanks so much. Thank you. And today's ending fact or term is FOSS, or FOSS, as it probably is correctly pronounced, which stands for Free Open Source Software. And of course, Um, The stuff that we use all the time, CMSs like WordPress, are free 
open source software. And I think the principle behind it simply is that you allow it to be forked. It is completely, all of the source code is uh, available to the public. Nothing is encrypted, nothing is hidden in any way. And anybody can take it, modify it, adapt it, re-release it. Um, I guess there are certain limitations on um, ownership of it. You know, you can't fork it and then start charging for it in in, the, in a way that I'm sure has happened in the past. But free open source software doesn't just limit itself to things like WordPress. There are obviously many, many free open source uh, projects. For example, there's Drupal and there's Magento and probably things like Joomla as well. So there's lots of CMSs, but then there's all sorts of other stuff. For example, on my desktop, I have uh, a piece of software called LibreOffice, which is an alternative to MS Office, Microsoft Office. And uh, it's completely free. I guess it's open source on that basis. But then, you know, the Linux project, the software which runs the computers that your websites probably run on, is all free open source software. And the idea is that because it's freely available, anybody can modify the code. The intention is that it's more secure because it's open to inspection by third parties. And also it evolves much more quickly because there's lots of eyeballs on it. Anything to add, David? No, that was a fabulous uh, <laughs> summary. You yeah. know what? The, with this stuff, you know, it, it's I, again, I always find myself contradicted on this one so linux is something that always looks so ugly and it's something that only people who live in sort of darkened basements use yes it's not as bad uh, as all that there are there are ways of making it more attractive that you know there's like the genome project and things like that for uh debian based systems but uh yeah it, it, it i i think it's fair to say that uh, linux isn't the most attractive because most of the people that are using it don't care one bit what it looks like they're simply interested in the command line <laughs> yeah absolutely well i mean it's it's a fabulous thing and it should remain like html itself you know it needs to be free the net would be an entirely different place wouldn't it well it's just it such a wonderful uh, notion you know you've got things like microsoft who because of their commercial license can obviously iterate that and pay employees and apple mm -hmm. and so on but then for the rest of us, there's all these amazing individuals who contribute in minor ways and major ways. There are ways of making um, a living out of this. You know, for example, Ubuntu has many employees and yet it's still free and open source because they they have uh, add-on services, uh, you know, support packages and there's Red Hat Linux and all of this kind of stuff. But it's remarkable to me that humanity has managed to do this, that the software yes. that we all use is free completely free mm. and and i just think that's a real testament to human nature sometimes it can be sometimes it can be better than mm. th than you'd expect um but it's not yeah. to say that it's perfect because obviously there is no way of forcing people uh, to contribute and so sometimes things do lag behind you know design trends of apple products are you're right superior to design trends in linux based products but it's not to say that Linux-based products are worthless because of that. They just don't look as good because there's less money floating around in that system. It's a bit of a bit of a difficult one. I suppose it's almost a bit like charities and volunteers in the real world. You know, I go down my local high street and there's a there's a shop, an Oxfam shop, and it's got lots of things in which people have provided for free, and the people who are working in that shop are giving their time for free. So it's it's a little bit like the software version of that. Yes. Yes. 
It makes you feel good as a human being, doesn't it? It does. Shouldn't work. It really does. And the fact that we've pinned both of our careers on free open source software is is great. You know, the fact that this can exist, I think, is just utterly remarkable. So there. Is that it? Mm. Is that free open source software in a nutshell? I think so. Great. In which case, we will say thank you for listening to the WP Builds podcast yet again. Um, my name's Nathan Wrigley, and you uh, are... David Wormsley. Brilliant. And the cheesy music. The cheesy music <laughs> keeps coming in, fading in. Here it comes. Have a lovely week, and we'll see you again next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, folks.